Welcome to the Beach Catholic Podcast with Father Brian Barr. We've got a great show for you today. Today we'll be talking about the importance of community, uh, specifically within the Catholic Church, of course. Uh, but in the future, if you have any questions or a topic you'd like us to talk about, you could send it into beachcatholicpodcast at gmail.com, or you could check us out on facebook.com slash beachcatholicpodcast. But let's bring him on now. As always, I've got Father Brian Barr with me. How are you, Father? I'm great, Lorenz. How are you doing? Doing well. Happy Easter. Uh, happy Easter. Thanks. He is risen. Um, <laughs> community is a very general term, right? If we talk about community, especially within the Catholic Church, we could talk about everybody who's sitting in the pews. We could talk about the small little sub-communities that uh, people create within the church. But, you know, let's let's not shy away from it. Let's talk about both. Um, but the first thing I want to touch on and, and um, how you see it, I mean, you interact with all the parishioners, there, there's some type of human nature that just wants to be part of a community. Am I right? Sure. I think so. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, beyond church. Um, I, I, certainly within certainly within church, I think there's a desire to be part of a faith community, certainly among a lot of people, uh, which is really what we're going to talk about, I guess, t- tonight. But also, yeah, I think bigger than that is just, is it just you said, it's sort of like a human desire to just be around, connected to people. Um to be part of something beyond yourself, you know. I guess if you were from a from a faith end, uh, you know, if you look at scripture, I mean, I think f- kind of from this, literally from the start, I mean, from the book of Genesis, you have God creating Adam, and and then in the course of the story, uh, God realizes that you know Adam's alone and there's something missing there, so he says, "Okay, I need to create you know a partner." So. I think even in that, I mean, you don't you don't have to be taking that story necessarily literally, but it's it's there's truth all over it. And I think one of them would be that just that that um, being alone isn't a good thing. At least not in a in a in the big picture. I mean, at times alone is good, but uh, the way we were made, the way we're wired, it's to be with and among people. You know, community, lots of different kinds of community. So now there there was a study done that I heard again. You take all studies with a grain of salt, right. but there was a study done where, uh, from a human, um, from a human perspective, right? They took a look at the body's reaction to smoking fifteen cigarettes a day, um, the body's reaction to getting drunk, literally every single night, mm-hmm. or keeping yourself isolated and 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 alone on a daily basis. And they're actually showing that the body's reacting worse out of all three of those things. The body reacts worse to loneliness. Is that right? So again, that's that's God given. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember remember hearing and reading about like uh, POWs, how uh, during the, you know, the Vietnam War, at least I think that's where I was reading about it was, uh, they said that was when POWs were the different forms of torture. They said that isolation was, was worse you know, being in solitary long term was was more painful um, than physical, you know, beatings and physical torture. So you're messing with the mind at that point. Completely, and it's you're going against something. It's this desire, the way we were made was to to be among other people. You know, and then if you go <clears throat> and jump to the jump to Jesus in the New Testament, you've got when he gives the disciples kind of the. Uh, plan for discipleship he says don't go alone you know go out go out in pairs uh i mean even what he did even even before giving him that directive he's he he gathered 12 you know it wasn't 
he wasn't a lone ranger. He didn't encourage, you know, lone ranger approaches. It was a kind of always, um, it was always with and among people. Um, I shouldn't say always, most of the time. And we also, you know, you see pretty regularly also Jesus, there'd be moments when he would go off alone. Um, and it was usually right before big decisions, important gospel moments and gospel scenes. He would go off to pray to be alone. He was usually interrupted because he was, you know, crowds needed him, the disciples needed him. Um, so I think you got the balance thing going. You need both. But um, there's just there's no way, whether you believe in God or not. I mean, you'd be, I think, a, a liar if you said that, yeah, if you don't, you know, I can be alone completely right. all the time. Well, like you said, you know, that's in in or outside of the church. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the church. This is a Catholic podcast. Sure. Uh, wh- why do you think it's important to surround yourself with like-minded Catholics? Like um, some people say, well, Father, I'm not alone. I'm part of communities. It's it's just not the church community, right? I, I, I come to Mass every single Sunday, but that's my hour. And and then I'm, I'm off in my own other communities, secular communities. But right. why do you think that it's important to surround yourself with like-minded Catholics? Uh, well, I guess partly because um, of what the church, what the church represents, what the what the church is really supposed to be about. Um, I was thinking about this a, a great scene in uh, one of one of my favorite movies ever is um, Jaws. I love it. Um, I just it's one of those movies that I kind of like. I can kind of it's on a lot. It seems like it's on constantly on well, TV. You and, reference it every six months in homilies. <laughs> I kind of so, do. I yeah. kind of do. I love it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just, uh, and, and, and you kind of, I never really get tired of it. Anyway, in the course of the movie, I think the best scene in the movie is uh, not even a scene which involves really the shark. It's uh, in between the battle with the shark. It's the ba- last half of the movie, the three shark hunters, um, you know, the sheriff, um, or the chief, rather, uh, Hooper, who's the kind of the uh, oceanographer expert, I guess, and then Quint, who's the shark hunter, they're ha- they're hanging out, having some drinks in the in the boat, and they start comparing, uh, you know, their battle scars, and and then in the course of this sort of back and forth over the drinks, um, Quint reveals that he was on the uh, USS Indianapolis, which um, which was a well, he starts to describe a true story. It was with the sinking of the ship that carried the Hiroshima bomb. And it was so secret that uh, they delivered the bomb, and then the ship was uh, on return. It was sunk, and uh, the mission was so secret that they, these poor guys were in the water for about four days before they were even discovered. I think there were 1,200 went into the water. I think uh, only 300 survived, and sharks were involved. It was just like a horrendous, horrendous story. Anyway, I, I remember... Loving that scene, and it's interesting what Spielberg did because he took, I mean, Quint was a fictional character. The Jaws story is fictional, but he kind of took this this not real character and he put him into this real historical story. Mm. Anyway, I remember kind of really being intrigued by that. I love the scene, and I didn't really know much about that story of the ship. So I kind of looked into it, and I remember watching a, a documentary about the sinking of the ship, and there were these uh, veterans who had survived it were being interviewed, and uh, it was just, you know, it was incredible to hear their, hear them talk about their, the ordeal, but there was one point where there were maybe three or four of these guys sitting together, and they're being interviewed, and then one of them said, uh, 
kind of almost interrupted his own thought, and he said he t- described these circles that they formed in the water. Um, they had been in the water a couple of days, and the sharks were, were everywhere. So just you know, try to imagine what that must have been like. Guys were being picked off by these sharks. And he said, guys, certain members formed these, like they formed a circle in the water. Like they linked arms. And he said, one of them said that they started to pray. And they were praying together. They were praying out loud. And uh, he's telling the story. And then the others are kind of like affirming it. They're nodding. They remember that. And then he stopped for a second, and then he goes, you know, I know this is going to sound kind of crazy, but he said, it just seemed like the ones who, who stayed together in prayer seemed to make it. They seemed to be, they survived more than the ones who were kind of going it alone. And again, the camera, you could see the other guys sort of nodding their heads in agreement. Um, doesn't mean, I'm not suggesting that, you know, those who said that the sharks, you know, avoided the people who were saying prayers. I'm not saying it was... It went that way, but it was just sort of the power of community, like these eight or ten guys in a circle in the midst of this nightmare were made stronger. Uh, the guy said, you know, when, when, when one would start to give up, the others would pull him close and hold him, hold him and keep him, literally keep him afloat. And uh, anyway, I just think that's a kind of a, it's a pretty cool metaphor for, for what the church is supposed to be. I mean, like life, in a sense, can be like, not always like this, but life can be tough. It can be, you know, picture just being, you know, moments of struggle in life. You know, where do you, where do you go? What do you do when, you know, sharks are attacking your life? Whatever, whatever that means, however that plays out. And I think people of faith, when the, the ones who come together or remain together in a context of prayer and belief, they're survivors. Um, I think that's what the church is, one way of looking at the church, and I think, you know, the power of community. Um, the other thing I would just say, uh, I mean, there's just strength in numbers, right, in life, and you just want to be around people that think like yourself. And I'm not saying we should only be around people who are like clones of ourselves and people who never disagree with us. I mean, that would be lame. No, I'm not suggesting that. I mean, you can think about this, like, I think I might have mentioned this before, but, you know, what should the basis, I, sometimes I'll, I'll ask groups of kids this question, like, what, what should the basis of friendship be? You know, why are you friends with your friends? Um, when you're little, you know, when you're 10 or whatever, years old, it's very practical. It's because he lived across the street from me, or, you know, we played on the same baseball team, or his mom and my mom were friends, and because of that, we hung out a lot. And when you're 10, that's like, that's okay. That's kind of all you need. You know, he had a swim, he had a pool in his backyard, and we hung out there because of that. But by the time you get to a certain point, often I think it's, you know, midway through high school maybe, you start to realize, you know, that's not enough. Um, that's a that's a friendship based kind of on the practical and often the historical. And there's got to be more. Like there's got to be like I'm friends with him or her because I respect them. And I think what that means is sort of like on the important th- things, we're pretty much on the same page. Uh, and again, I don't mean we don't ever disagree. Um, but in the important stuff, we kind of are similar. Um, and there's power in that, and I think we need that. Uh, 
And I think that's another reason why just church, parish, community is is so important. I need to be around people who kind of affirm my values. Um, I mean, when you look at it like that, well, first off, I mean, anybody who's listening, you may think, hey, I'm still friends with the friends who I've had when I was six, seven, ten years old, but I know I'm not, <laughs> like right. it did, uh, for the reasons you said. And what, what that sparked in my memory is, you know, thinking back to 17, 16, as young as 13 years old, you know, that's when bad decisions start to happen, right? Um, as we get older, worse decisions <laughs> may sure. start to happen. And I guess y- you could either go one way or the other, right? One can have either a positive influence on another individual or vice versa, right? One can drag another individual down to to that kind of level where the bad decisions are happening. Mm-hmm. So I think what you're saying is, you know, we're, we're in a position right now where if we're around the faith, we're coming to mass, it, it, we're, we can be the the influence on others as well. And the way we do that is surrounding ourselves uh, with, with people who are doing the same. I, I think so. I totally think you're right. Um, you know, I think college, like for many people, the experience of college is, uh, it's a great experience. And it's, you learn as much just in the in the overall experience of it in some respects as you do in the classroom. Did I go too young when I said 17, 18 years old? Or I guess I should have gone 19, 20 with college, right? Yeah, well, you know, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> okay. Um, although I tell you, I mean, I think even, you know, high school, you know, I used to work in a high school and often I would find juniors and seniors. The difference between a, a kid's freshman, sophomore experience and junior, senior experience was often very different. Um, the good kid... Uh, his freshman sophomore year, um, in the course of that time, he started to re- he or she reevaluate their friends, people who had been friends kind of forever. Uh, you know, were starting to become idiot idiots and right. started making you know bad decisions. So the kid is the good kid. We'll call him or her for what you know whatever that means is uh, now sort of conflicted. Like, do I kind of embrace with you know where he or she is going and what they're about, or do I not? And if I don't, I kind of, I kind of go into this phase where you know, I kind of don't even really feel like I have a community or friends. And what I used to find in the high school where I worked was uh, that strong kid eventually would find new friends right. who had common values. And then it became like their experience of high school is like, well, did you like it or not? Well, it really depended. If you asked me when I was a sophomore, it would might have been nah, not so much. If you asked me at the end of my, you know, they were crying on graduation day because they were leaving a place that they came to love. Right. And it was less the place, I'll bet, and it was more the people. It was the community. It was the people that, you know, you just, you became close to. And um, so I do think there's just, I mean, there's no question. There's just, I, hey, at the end of the day, the, the person you marry, you know, what is it about, what is it? in that person that you decide, like, this is the one. Yeah, I mean, externals are important and, like, peripheral. I, you know, I like the way he or she, I like their this part of their personality. Things that they like, I like. When that kind of brought us together, um, certain things I love to do, he or she loves to do. Yeah, I mean, those things, of course, matter. But if we're very different in kind of the core values department, um that's not the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. That's not the person who I sort of consider my best friend or two. Um, and I think back to the church dimension to this, the church, 
parish ought to be a place where you help structure that and, and, and build that. Um, you know, the gospel, what was it? I guess it was the Sunday after Easter, I think, uh, with Thomas, or was it? Whenever it was. It's been since Easter. Um, you know, the famous Doubting Thomas story. Uh, like Thomas, oh, whatever, he kind of gets a bad rap. I mean, he's just, he's, he's forever remembered for that one moment. But um, why doesn't Thomas believe? Why is Thomas doubting when the rest of them are believing? Because he didn't see Jesus. He didn't see the risen Jesus. Jesus. Why didn't he see him? Because he wasn't there. Um, those who were there literally saw Jesus, and their faith was made strong. They were they were given new newfound hope. Thomas, we don't know where he was, but he wasn't there, and he was like, "I'm not really believing this." So I just think that points out, like, man, if you're not if you're not part of the community, it's going to be a lot tougher to believe. Um, so I think it also just the point there is that it just church should a, a solid parish should help build strong foundations so that when you are away at college and almost everything you ever believed in is called into question or worse is sort of trashed and mocked you survive it you know and hey, if you go you go through a period where you're questioning it, that's a good thing. Question, question, question the things that you were raised with and you know experienced. But I think if you if you had a good experience of of that of a parish community, the questioning only goes so far. Um, but that's that's not just on the parishioner though. I mean, like we're we're saying, yeah, well, get involved with your parish, become a part of the community. But it, it's also the parish's role. What, like, what's the church's role in regards to creating a community that <laughs> for its par- parishioners? Well, I think it's a huge should be a huge role, a huge responsibility. Um, you know, my parents, my mom and dad, uh, grew up in Brooklyn. Um, you know, back in the they were born in the '30s, so like they grew up in the and the 40s and the 50s um, in Brooklyn. And, um, you know, to be Catholic in, in, in New York City in the 1940s and 50s, like, the, you know, the church was sort of king. It just had power almost in every aspect, probably too much in, 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 in certain areas. But, right. but we had a lot. Uh, we had a lot of influence, uh, huge immigrant reality. The culture, the culture just promoted... Um, our values, the secular culture, you know, movies, and it just, uh, everything kind of affirmed what we believe, most things that we believed as a church. Anyway, I mention it because I, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, I went to a mass. My parents, uh, my mother in particular, had this priest growing up. He was a priest from the Diocese of Brooklyn. His name was Father Jim Tully. And he was kind of a legend. I always remember hearing about Father Tully. And everybody, you know, from that time knew him and loved him. I think he was an newly ordained priest. Uh, they just, they just, he was just, they loved him. And um, anyway, he died. He died as he was an elderly man. He was retired. I think he was in North or South Carolina. And uh, they had a memorial mass for him up here in New York, maybe a two, two or three months after he died. And they went to the, the college seminary residence where you, they kind of were able to use the chapel and they had a luncheon. And I went to it. My mom went and I decided to go and I can celebrate the mass. I mean, I don't 
I don't, I never met Father Tully, but I kind of felt like I knew him because I'd heard so much about him. And I'll never forget this mass. It was, first of all, there must have been 200 people at it. And uh, this amazing tribute. And then they went over for lunch and it was just they had a microphone and they went around to the tables and people told, you know, St. Teresa's, the parish was St. Teresa of Avila. And they told, you know, Father Tully's story, St. Teresa's stories. And to hear, now this was 50 years later, right? I mean, this would have been, he was there like in the 40s. It was like 50, 60 years later. And uh, to hear these, these people now themselves in their 70s and 80s talking about this priest and his impact and his influence, uh, it, was, it was beyond inspiring. For me as a priest, it was inspiring to think, man, like to, to live my priesthood in a way where maybe I would, in some respects, impact people that way or a parish that way. But it was also, it was so clear from the from the, the, the comments and the, the spirit of that day that the church was just the center. The church was like the center of people's lives uh, in that time and in that place. Um, certainly their, the, the spiritual life it was the center of, but it was the social life, their communal life. Um, and that's the way it should be, you know. And again, when you're living in a time, when, when a culture that, that supports that, it's easier for that to happen. It comes to the point where they didn't, they didn't really need to lift a finger. It's just where you needed to be. It's where, where everybody already was. It really was. It it's really was. not the case today at all. <laughs> it's not. And I think, um, you know, there's the chat. Me as a, you know, me as a pastor, uh, people uh, just as active parishioners, I think that should be the goal. And, you know, it's probably... Do you never- find pressure in that? Well, I feel I find good pressure in it. I think it's it's a challenge. I mean, I, you know, it's, I'm in Long St. Mary's here in Long Beach. You know, I don't I'm, I, I don't think it's ever going to be you know Brooklyn 1948 probably just in terms of lots of factors. <clears throat> but excuse me for it to be um, to just try to grow the church and for the church beyond Sunday for the church to be like a presence and a force within a town within a city. Um, that's sort of a fun challenge and an important challenge. I think one, one that you know we're all called to kind of pursue and always be asking asking ourselves like, all right, what direction are we going here? And if we're not going in the right direction, why? You know, is it? And it's not all us. Again, it's culture is very different today than it was in the '40s and '50s. So we got a lot working against us. Um, but what are we doing or not doing? to help kind of like try to you know redirect where the church is going and should be going. But bottom line is it should be, I mean, and I don't want to get all negative here on families and sports. You know, I like sports. Sports are a good thing. Uh, I don't want to become the cranky priest who's railing against everything but church. Um, however, I mean, look, talk to certain parents in wherever community you're at and look at the the passion with which they speak of their kids sports lives you know it's a little it's a little wacky i mean it's a it's a little crazy um that has become you know my a 12 year old uh, my 12 year old's hockey career is the most important thing in my life in terms of time with my kid there they travel everywhere 
Now, hey, on a certain level, some of that is family togetherness. They're together on a weekend. So it's not all bad. In fact, a lot of it's good. But when it trumps faith, you know, when families effectively say, well, we're going to be on the road pretty much for the next three months. Uh, so that's kind of practically going to mean we're not going to get to church. It's bad news. And that's common, I think, in a, in a scary and a dangerous way. Whatever whatever the sport is, they're just nuts. I mean, how many, how many news stories are we going to watch where you see some father uh, in the bleaches scale the chain link fence and, and knock out, you know, the ref or the ump or two fathers rolling around below the bleachers because, you know, you know, and, and their, and their, their kids are, you know, 12 years old. It's like, you gotta be kidding. How could you be so, how could this matter so much? So there's been a, a weird and troubling substitution. Like that's become their church. That's become their religion, you know, or, my kids need to get into the best college possible, so the kid's taking SAT prep courses and he's in seventh grade. It's like this kind of insanity. Like um, again, all good stuff, <laughs> like all good stuff. But it's just like comes to a point where where do you place it? Right. And um, so yeah, I just think uh, you know, I think when we're doing our job, uh, when we're inspiring people, um, we compete with that in a good way and you called uh, that a family earlier this uh this past sunday right uh, i i heard a story i was talking to my mother-in-law and she said at i think it was the 8 a.m mass you saw a couple of boys oh, in their right. lacrosse gear lacrosse jerseys um uh, and called out in a good way right I, oh, yeah yeah but, uh, yeah they just it was like a i don't know a second grader and kindergartner maybe and they came up to with their parents for communion. In fact, the, the older kid is making his communion in two or three weeks. Um, but they came up to, you know, they didn't receive, but they came up with their parents, uh, clearly in their uniforms. And I'm thinking it's the eight o'clock mass. And they're not usually at the eight. And I was thinking, you know, they're here. Clearly the kids were going to a, going to a game. So they, they must have said, all right, we're going to the eight today because we're not going to be able to get to the 11. Um, so I did, you know, after communion, I kind of went down and asked them, uh, Asked them where what the game deal was, and you know everybody kind of applauded them, and we affirmed them. Um, so people do get it. It's not like uh, you know we're not talking about every everybody hasn't you know gone crazy and dropped the ball. There are good people out there, um, and I think when you see them, first of all, they inspire, they give you hope, and I think we ought to just sort of build them up, kind of affirm them. Absolutely. Um- so I mean, so let's say that you get that right, right? From a pastor's perspective, uh, from a parish council perspective, you get it right. We've we've put in the correct sub communities. We've formed these men's groups, these women's groups, young adult groups. We've we've got enough groups for everybody. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. That's half the battle. The other half is getting people to them. So why do you think some parishioners may feel hesitant to be part of a community of revolved around the church? Um, because people aren't jumping in, but you, right. you got to recruit them. So why do you think people are, might be a little shy getting into a group like that revolved around the church? Well, I mean, I think, um, <laughs> I think the church can be really kind of annoying in a lot of ways. I think, um, some of the expectations that the church places up on people uh, are just silly and unnecessary. I I, I, was, I had to go, um, yes, uh, two days ago, I, I had to bring my mom 
she had to get her license renewed at the uh, DMV, you know, which is like a nightmare. I mean, that's like that's the worst thing you could wish upon you know, a person is like, go hang out at the DMV for a couple of hours. It's like hell. And um, anyway, I, you know, I didn't want my mom going alone. So I, I went with her and we waited for an hour and a half. And and I was just thinking like the DMV is like an interesting place because it's, um, they've got something that you need. Like it's the only place my mom can get her license, her registration renewed. And she couldn't do it online for a particular reason. So we had to physically go down there. Um, but the DMV has something that nobody else has. So because of that, you got to jump through their hoops. Kind of whatever they ask, you, you kind of have to do. And I think sometimes the church does its own version of that. You know, what we have, nobody else has got. You know, we got the sacraments. Um, and that's an awesome thing. And it's an obviously, and it's an, it's an awesome responsibility connected to that. And I think sometimes certain parishes will just, they make the people just jump through stupid and unnecessary hoops. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, sacraments matter more than anything. You don't just receive them, you know, you need preparation. You need to be, you know, ready, be made ready to, to receive the sacraments. But if you're going to make people, if you're going to require things of people, do it well. Like if you're going to say you're getting married in the church, you got to do pre-cana, good. You should, we should have pre-cana. But it should be good pre cana It should be. It shouldn't be a weekend where you, after you're done with it, you're like, okay, here's two days of my life that I lost here, and I got nothing out of it. I was subjected to just, you know, people who were kind of clueless, and it was an un largely unpleasant experience. Or your kids being baptized, and you got the class to go to. Same deal. Like parents ought to hear about the sacrament and the importance of raising their kids in the church, but they ought to hear it expressed well um so i don't know i think part of it sometimes is it's just like you know when they have to deal with the church it's like you got to do this you got to do that and and sometimes it's just it's a little a little bit of this D dmv dynamic um so i think there's a challenge on our part to we're gonna require things we better be doing a good job um i think another reason why people might be a little hesitant is they just they think church people are a little weird. Um, and I can think, be careful now. <laughs> be careful what you say. All right. <laughs> no, no. I I think sometimes church people are weird. I mean, I they scare me away sometimes. So, you know, people who are just, you know too much of anything is unhealthy. I mean, too much like. Jesus talked 24-7, you know, you're going to drive people away. And um, I don't know, I remember when I was in college, you know, I went to Mass every Sunday, and it was a very important time for me because that's when I really started to seriously think about the possibility of priesthood and, you know, and, and the whole, you know, foundation piece we were talking about before. I, I did come, I did have a strong foundation thanks to my family and, you know, but in a good way, that was challenged in college, meeting people of other faith and no faith. So like the best of what, you know, a college experience or a broadening experience offers. Uh, so I'm grateful for that. And, but I but I got, I was, I was going to mass. I was even going to daily mass a couple of days a week regularly. And I remember the priest chaplain who I used to, I'd meet up with and I'd talk to him one-on-one, -on -one, him kind of encouraging me to go on, retreats with campus ministry or uh, 
Like he wanted me to run, you know, to go on parish council. And I just didn't want to. I was just kind of afraid because I thought they'd be kind of like kind of weird Jesus freaks that were uh, on the retreat or at the parish council meeting. And, you know, I was probably 25% of my concerns might have been valid, but seven, I was probably wrong three out of, out of the four, you know. Um, and it was a mistake because it kept me away from probably meeting some, certainly meeting some great people. Um, that I never quite got to know because I just was a little little gun shy. So I think sometimes it's just that it's um, we don't always present ourselves as 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 well as we should. And you know, today too, add add the you know certainly in the church in the last twenty years or so, the reality of terrible reality of, of scandal and yeah. You know, so so often the news you hear is negative. You know, you rarely hear a positive church story. Um, you know, so the steady drumbeat of that kind of, I think, I suspect it just sort of wears on people. Um, now I think, how is that countered? Great parish life. You know, if your experience of on once a week on a Sunday or maybe more than once a week is positive and, and life giving and bold, um, then the negative stories that we encounter and, uh, you know those bullets bounce off more readily because we we're directly in the midst of strong communities of faith. Um, so, so let me ask you this, right? Uh, people who may be listening, they're saying, "Well, yeah, that's that's all well and good, but I just feel like the church hasn't, or the church isn't doing a great job creating a sub community for me, being a blank." Right, so I want you to fill in that blank. Like, what do you think? What community do you think the the church has not done the best job of, of accepting in? Like, whether it be an age group, uh, one sex over the other, is there any anybody any group glaring to you? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you often hear that um, uh, young adults, people who are, you know, like I think I think a lot of parishes or, or a decent number will have a outreach to kids, certainly little kids. Um, if you have a youth group, you're usually you're dealing with middle and high school, so we're present to them. But then, uh, <clears throat> you know, you go to college, you come home from college, you're in your 20s, you're not yet married, you're not yet having kids, That whatever that is from 20 to, to 30, say. Um, we, we, I think, often we do little little for them. Um, and, and part of it is it's, it's a two-way street. I mean, they're usually... You know, they're maybe living in different places over that decade. You know, work and career has got them pretty mobile, so they're maybe less inclined to plant roots in a parish. Um, but I think we that that's probably an area where we we ought to be more present. Um, and then I think other other groups of people who just feel whether this is fair or not, um, they feel like they're not welcome uh, in the church. Uh, people who are, you know, uh, sort of their relationship because of the life, the, their life situation has them not maybe fully in communion with the church. I'm thinking of, you know, people who were divorced and remarried, um, remarried but not in the church. Um, you know, there are challenges there. Uh, I think oftentimes, you know, they, there's there's false information as to whether they're um, you know allowed to be receiving communion, whether they're you know they're fully in communion with us. Um, 
And I think this Pope, certainly Francis has, I think, I think, I think everybody would kind of, whether you agree with him or not on this, I don't think you can deny that he's, he's gone after that. You know, he's, I think Anthony, uh, Francis is saying, we let, we let too much get in the way of uh, re- re- encounter with Christ, relationship with Christ. So, um, you know, the process of trying to maybe make marriages that are not uh, in the church, regularizing that. He's made the annulment process easier than it once was. So There's really been an attempt on his part to, to reach out, you know, um, you know, I think the gay community, again, you know, whether it's, you know, what, what people hear versus what the church actually, in fact, says sometimes is not the same thing. Um, but you know what, if they're, if, even if they're not hearing the right thing, if, if they're not hearing it, if they're not understanding who, who we are and what we believe, then I guess we're not communicating as well as we should uh, welcome you know, um, and that that part of Jesus's message, which was, you know, almost just kind of endlessly inviting, you know, forever. You know, we got a lot, lot of the the gospels. Uh, we talked about this last time. You know, the the gospels during Lent, where he was just, you know, prodigal son. You know, the woman caught in adultery, just constantly reaching out to people who are on the margins. Um, so that's something we need to do. I think we should constantly be just looking at and saying hey are we you know it would be a terrible thing you know i said this i said this uh, a couple of weeks ago at mass uh, hearing about a um uh, telling a story about a, a woman who had um who was now like in her i think in her 50s who confided with a to, you know with a friend that she had had an abortion 30 years before and had really not been church involved at all since then and she was struggling just with the reality of that regret, um, but hadn't come to terms with it. He suggested the friends that she maybe speak with a priest, and she was just sort of shocked. She kind of like sincerely thought, you know, she couldn't or she shouldn't, and that the church, you know, wouldn't want her or she wasn't worthy or welcome or. You know, which is which is awful, awful that she thought that. You know, if it's somebody the exact opposite, it's the, it's it's the exact opposite. You know, now again, did did she hear that from a church person? Person, maybe. Um, did she just think that? Uh, maybe who know, who knows? But at the end of the day, she's a victim also in that. Totally, totally. So I mean, to just to always be, you know, I think vigilant about you know that just sort of. Everybody is supposed to be a part of the church. We're supposed to be challenged when we're when when we're part of the community. There are expectations of all of us. Um, you know, early church. You know, we're hearing about it a lot now these days of, of Easter. It was a, a a real hardcore community. It was radical. It was countercultural. So I think you got to measure that fact with, you know, sort of like this sort of kind of forever open armed. Response. And I think those two things have to, it's not one or the other, it's both. I think they, I don't think, you know, welcoming everyone means you you surrender principles and truths. It means you you maintain them and you proclaim them. But when people fail to, to meet them, that doesn't stop them from being part of the community. And uh, so I just think doing a better job 
of, of communicating that, I guess, to, to God's people. Um, and I guess the last thing I'd, I'd say maybe would be, you know, if somebody's in their particular parish and they're, they're trying to get something off the ground, um, maybe it's a, it's a particular group, outreach to a certain group, and uh, or maybe it's just a, something fun, a social thing um, that they'd like to, to, uh, to get going. And they keep getting roadblocked. Um, you know, if the, if, the, if the leadership is kind of weak and shot and not interested. You know, I, uh, I do think at a certain point, you got you to, I mean, you try to challenge the parish you're in. You try to make it work if you can. But I think the pastor's important. The pastor's matters for, for good and bad. And if you're, if you're just feeling like after trying, like I'm just, we're, we're just, you know, slamming our heads into the, against the wall here, then maybe you look for another parish. Um, I mean, these are, these are tough days in terms of, you know, we got less priests. Um, so we're going to, I think, you're going to have a kind of a short, not only a shortage of priests, but probably a, you know, a corresponding shortage of talent, right? Uh, so if the parish you happen to live within is, is just kind of like, you know, uh, the walking dead, um, then maybe it's, you know, maybe you look at the next parish. If you're hearing or the parish two or three towns over has got, got life and got spirit. Um, you know, if you want to go out tonight and get a nice meal and uh, you're in the mood for a nice Italian dinner and uh, there's a restaurant in town, Italian restaurant in town, but it's okay, it's okay. Two towns over, there's an incredible Italian restaurant. Um, I mean, aren't you going to go? Aren't you going to go th- two or three towns further to get the great meal? Um, yeah, you, you, you know, you'd be kind of silly to settle for a an okay meal when you can have an, an incredible meal. Well, if we're willing to do that for a for for pasta, shouldn't we be willing to do to do at least that for uh, for Jesus? I'll just make sure that the uh, the restaurant you're going to has the sacraments, though. <laughs> I mean, this <laughs> is true. Really what it is. That's right. Um, so, I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna bring up the fact that at the end of each podcast, now I'm going to ask you for a call to action for the listeners. However, I think in the last five minutes, you, you did that already, so that's great. But look forward to calls to action from Father Brian at the end of each podcast. Um, but that's great. Any any um, any other last calls to action from our parishioners who are listening? Well, I just, um, I don't know, maybe just ask yourself, where is the church in your life? If you had, if you had to make a list of the, the four or five things that you you commit your time and your your wallet and your heart to, what are they? What are those? What are those communities? Um, where is the church? Um, and if it's really not, if it's down a couple, maybe the challenge would be to say, hey, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta push this thing up the list. And if it is at the top. Which is where it should be. Um, got to be. You got to be a leader. You know. You got to. You got to enter the fray. And um, and if you're struggling in that realm with, like I said, a parish that's kind of slow go- moving, you got to be willing to, uh, you know, to go where it's happening and be fed. That's right. Get out of your comfort zone. Um, don't forget, you can listen to we- weekly gospels and father's homilies by subscribing to the podcast. Uh, if you have a question, send it into beachcatholicpodcast at gmail.com, or you can connect with us at facebook.com slash beachcatholicpodcast. 
Uh, you can rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And obviously, feel free to share with your loved ones. Uh, look out for future episodes. But until then, God bless.